Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience for taking time to be with us today. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. I'm broadcasting this week from Kansas City at the Fiber to the Home Council Conference, and the theme of the conference is From Gigabit Envy to Gigabit Deployed. And as you can imagine, here in the land of Google Fiber, Fiber is probably the optimum word, and everyone talks about you know fiber and all the things that we can do with it and so forth. But you might want to ask the question, if I'm getting a gigabit connection, I'm getting gigabit speed and all that comes with that, do I really care if it's wired or if it's wireless? So what about a gigabit wireless as an option? And so, And this may be a surprise to folks, but actually there are a number of uh, wireless I, uh, ISPs that are delivering a gigabit um, speed and, and even more uh, capacity for their uh, customers. And today, we're going to really delve into that and also some of the issues of the uh, what I would call the back-end infrastructure that regardless of whether you're talking wired or wireless, you have to give consideration to if you're serious about uh, the quality of broadband in your area. Uh, today, my guest on the show uh, actually has been on, on here before talking about uh, Gigabit Wireless, and that is Graham Gibson of um, Computer, Computers and Telecom, and he is going to talk about um, Gigabit Wireless, what his network is doing here in uh, Kansas City, where he's based. Uh, their services actually go beyond Kansas City, and it also includes data center services, uh, fiber services. So he's a good guy to talk to about all aspects of this gigabit world that we're quickly moving into. Graham, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about, first and foremost, gigabit wireless. Okay, so some folks out there might be saying, well, we've never heard about a gigabit speed. That's also wireless. Well, gigabit wireless is perfectly capable uh, and, and when it's designed as a point-to-point solution. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you need a gigabit from one building to another or from one network to another, uh, gigabit wireless uh, radio capability is well-developed, uh, has been for years. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the major carriers use these kinds of radios to get connectivity from their towers back to someplace where they can actually get the fiber. Mm-hmm. Because in the, this is changing, of course, but in the, la- in the last several years, there's more and more activity to build up to where the, the tower is. Mm-hmm. You actually have the, tower, the fiber operators go to the tower. But uh, in a lot of places, there's a four or five mile gap mm-hmm. between where that tower is, where the customers are that are trying to use that mm-hmm. resource, mm-hmm. and getting the backhaul that they need to get connected to the rest of the network. Backhaul uh-huh. is the process of taking all of the bits that are connecting from one, any one location and streaming them back somewhere that you can actually get to the general Internet. Mm-hmm. All right, And that usually is a fiber-based connection. Okay. So for the user, okay, so I'm you know, open this show with the, the, the assumption that um, if I'm a business, and you guys focus heavily on on the business market. Right. And uh, if I've got a reliable connection and it's a gigabit, do I really care if it's fiber or 
wireless as long as it's secure and it's reliable and probably if it's backed up. Right. I, there are a couple of things that you want to think about. I, first of all, fiber is a great solution if you need to go beyond a gigabit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are limitations to how uh, far wireless can scale because of the limitation of spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now, more spectrum has been made available. The FCC has been working aggressively to make more spectrum available, but absolutely everybody that's in the wireless business is trying to glom on to as much spectrum as they can as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been some developments in unlicensed where more capacity has been made available, but most businesses don't uh, necessarily rely on uh, on that kind of connection for a data center connection or a heavy-duty use connection. Okay. Those are normally yeah, firmly in the realm of fiber, mm-hmm. and that's great if the fiber is where you want it to be. Right. But what a lot of companies see is that uh, let, let's just talk about multi-tenant buildings. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are a lot of companies that are in multi-tenant buildings. Right. And in the United States right now, about 11% of the multi-tenant buildings that there are out there with, say, 20 or more companies in them have fiber to the building. Mm-hmm. All right? Uh, now, the average working distance between where you are and where the fiber is is sometimes several miles. Mm-hmm. And in a metro environment... It can be more than $150 a foot to build fiber mm-hmm. in, in when you're having to deal with closing streets and rerouting traffic and everything else that's, that's associated with it. And it takes a long time. It mm-hmm. takes five to six months. Right. So what we see happen a lot is uh, a carrier like uh, TW Telecom or, or Sprint uh, will come uh, to a building that they have fiber in, Mm-hmm. And then they'll want to leap that last two or three miles with a wireless shot until they can actually get the fiber to that building. Mm-hmm. All right. And with licensed radio technology today, those shots can be highly reliable. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, uh, reliability is dis- expressed in the number of nines of reliability you have. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Five nines of reliability is uh, uh, only uh, 5.56 minutes of downtime a year, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, four nines of reliability is 56 minutes of, of downtime a year. Mm-hmm. And three nines of reliability is uh, about 8.75 hours, mm-hmm. right? Um, wireless as a solution is somewhere between three nines and four nines. Fiber as a solution is somewhere between three and a half nines, and five nines. Okay. All right? In a typical build environment. All right. To get six nines of reliability, where you only have seconds of downtime a year, you need dual feeds at the least. Okay. All right? And they have to come in on divergent entrances. Mm-hmm. All right? The fiber's problem is the fiber-seeking backhoe. No matter how hard we try to avoid the fiber-seeking backhoe, it comes into our reality on a painfully regular basis. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. A construction accident of right, some right. sort cuts the fiber. Right. Or somebody that's trying to steal copper that doesn't realize that that cable is fiber and not copper. Right. Tries to dig it up and cut it and realize that they've got glass which they can't sell for anything. <laughs> but that takes down a lot of people. Right. And the problem with fiber cuts is that that they take a, a long time to fix. Right. And several hours at least. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the uh, but if you have divergent entrance, if you come into the building both with fiber up from the ground and with wireless down from the roof, then you have a very good chance of having connectivity all the time. So in in, in essence, that you were talking about a <clears throat> redundant system, uh, a backup system that's closer to home, say, than having a uh, backup system in another city or another state, which is, I mean, valid precaution in and of its own right. right. But you're uh, but you're sort of talking about um, a local redundant system. Uh, you are also talking about, and I think we talked about this on the last show, which is if you want to have an interim deployment. So assume that you've got, you know, 10% of your businesses or buildings have uh, fiber. And so you now want to, like as is happening in Kansas City or, well, not so much Kansas City because Google's only building to the home for the moment. But right. in, in an environment or a community where they're building to uh, the premise building uh, business or otherwise, um, you may use wireless as a way to get the connectivity there faster and then by the time you build fiber out to that building you keep the wireless as the redundant backup and you have fiber exactly. and you're and you're all good to go exactly okay and that's one of the magics of my other company the KC Nap mm-hmm. uh, Nap has the ability to put the same IP or the same network segment on the fiber and in the air through the radio mm-hmm Right? That's a wonderful thing to have happen because by having diverse delivery, we can make sure that the IP addresses that we count on to hook to all of the equipment that we need to use can be available through both platforms. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, the, the way that most people get uh, connectivity and reliability without having that kind of capability at the uh, in the background mm-hmm. and, and you saw some of that capability yesterday right. when you toured our mm-hmm. data center um, that uh, that kind of uh, connection is normally made through uh, routing and using BGP mm-hmm. now BGP border gateway protocol is the way that ISPs figure out where the traffic is going to go I mm-hmm. uh, and I, I also showed you a little map yesterday of that dynamic routing process, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the fly. Which unfortunately, this is radio, so we can't show. Yeah, them. exactly, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll work through it. We'll work through it. But uh, but one of the things that is normally done is you you get one feed from AT and T and another one from Verizon, and then you hook them both to a router, and uh, and then you have the availability of either carrier. So that protects you from one of the carriers going down, but it doesn't protect you from the fiber-seeking backhoe. Right. All right. Because the trench that those carriers come through is almost always the same trench. Mm-hmm. And so a damage along that fiber path <laughs> still takes you down. Right, right. Okay. And that and that makes a lot of sense. It It requires, you know, one of the things as I was going through the tour yesterday and I was looking at all the facilities, uh, the thing that, that comes to mind or came to mind is that, um, you know, we talk a lot about fiber. We talk a lot about these build-outs. But I think we talk about, at this stage, we're still kind of new, we talk about the fiber as if it's a one-dimensional thing. I'm going to go in, I'm going to lay a bunch of fiber. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm looking at rural areas, I, I might say, well, I'm going to go in, I'm going to put up a bunch of, you know, wireless uh, networks because it's, it's impractical to send fiber out there, but people don't talk about the whole picture. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to go uh, with um, with fiber, 
there's still that fact that the wireless makes sense, even in the urban setting where you might not necessarily think about it because you're only thinking one-dimensionally fiber. Conversely, when people are talking about, you know, we only need to have wireless out to the most remote areas, you still have to address the fact that fiber has to be a part of the question if you want to have sufficient backhaul to bring wireless back from, you know, sparsely populated areas. And that brings up the question of aggregation. Yes, right. the other big one. All right. Now, that that term, aggregation, talks about yeah, – it's, it's, it's a term that is referencing the process of putting all of the bits together into a bigger and bigger pipe. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about Google laying gigabit to the home. Right. right? Mm -hmm. It's great that they're laying gigabit to home. And the reality today is people are not using a gigabit at a time. All right? right. They're mm -hmm. using 100 megs maybe. Right. All On right? the high end. Right. But uh, at that – and so a lot of people say, well, why why are you going to a gigabit? Why not just stop at 100 megs? Well, one of the things that Google is doing is selling services out of their data center environments. They're they're doing television on this stuff, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so they need to be able to have that additional speed over and above what somebody is using to get out to the net mm -hmm. so that when somebody is doing a huge uh, BitTorrent download mm -hmm. of you know all the music that they can think of to, to right, find, right. Uh, they're not going to be overloading their pipe right. so that the 12 channels that they're trying to watch at the same time come through. Exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. And uh, so uh, in a situation like that, that gigabit is there to provide bursting capacity, mm -hmm. right? But in time, bandwidth is doubling about every 11 months, mm -hmm. and demand for bandwidth is doubling in about the same time frame. Right. Right. So we are going to get to the point where that gigabit isn't going to be enough. Right. All right? Mm -hmm. But the optics that you use to light a gigabit are very similar to the optics that you use to light 10 gigabits mm -hmm. or 40 gigabits, except for price. Right. Right. So the carriers are saying, I'll go ahead and lay the gigabit piece of fiber, put the glass down to do that, because I know that when that additional demand comes along mm -hmm. and I have to go to 10 gigs or 40 gigs or 100 gigs or, God bless us, a terabyte, uh, <laughs> then I, I will be able, by changing the electronics, to scale my network. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. And that's a very important consideration. Should we be changing some of the um, – it's a very interesting – when you look at some of the bitter fights, particularly between uh, communities, municipalities or public utilities, or however the community decides it wants to build a network, and the, the big telcos – because they always want to try to, to reduce the argument to who needs a gigabit. Like, which per, what person in America needs a gigabit network? And the, and the <laughs> answer is, in six years or less, we all do. That Right, but there is that. But I think even more to the case, I think we need to be making the case aggressively from the outset that you need to talk about the network in total and the numbers of people in, 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 in uh, total that are being... Um, served. Like, for right. example, I do this survey every year of economic development professionals and others to talk about broadband's impact on economic development. And a number of questions deal with how much speed, you know, what's the minimum amount of speed you think you need for, for, for doing X and Y and different tasks, attracting businesses and all that. And the smaller rural areas tend to say, well, we only need 
you know, the minimum, you mm -hmm. know, is, is 100 mm -hmm. megs or it may be 50 megs. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the larger area, the larger communities, the major metropolitans, and they're the ones that say, okay, well, we need, you know, a gigabit. And I think when you stop and you analyze that, well, for the smaller areas, it's because we're dealing with fewer businesses, small businesses that aren't using uh, the – the, the, that capacity, that full-on capacity, so they don't need as much because you look, you're talking about this in the aggregate. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a stronger case to make, especially when you're running into opposition, mm -hmm. that, you know, this isn't about, you know, the one. This isn't about the one person or even the one business. No, and it comes down back to, to that aggregation mm -hmm. and where the bottleneck is. Right. All right? If I've got 100 users with a gigabit feed, Mm -hmm. My a my average aggregation on that circuit is going to be somewhere between twenty and forty gigs. Right. All right. So I need to backhaul twenty or forty gigs, and more importantly, I need to peer off twenty or forty gigs. Right. To the next carrier and the next guy. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get a connection from anybody's network, you are buying a connection to their network, and what you're really wanting is a connection to the entire internet. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. And most of the carriers in the United States today are transporting across the United States on 10-gig waves. Now, they can bond multiple 10-gig waves as they need additional capacities, but that's what is usually available on the long-haul cross-country fiber, all right? Mm -hmm. And in Kansas City, we've got about 35 carriers that go by us, and we have relationships with 27 of them at this mm -hmm. point. Um, and I that those those carriers can peer off at any of the NAPs or the Internet exchange points in the United States, and that's where most of this traffic changes hands, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if suddenly Google is passing 400,000 homes, mm -hmm. the aggregation number goes to stunning values. Right. All right? Mm -hmm. And now these carriers that are in other places Suddenly, you know, I mean, there are, there are 108 carriers uh, that that are at the Chicago NAP, and uh, and even more than than uh, that at the Ashburn NAP. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, when you start looking at all those carriers that are not in this market yet, mm -hmm. they're going to have to start thinking: Gee, Google is generating an awful lot of load traffic, and do I really want to pay some other carrier to get <clears> there? <throat> mm -hmm. So they're going to have to start thinking about building their own networks here. Mm -hmm. And when they do, we hope that they call me. <laughs> <laughs> that would make that would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot of sense. Now, I think the last time we we were discussing stuff, we talked about the the time difference, mm -hmm. right? Um, because there obviously there's a there's a time to do fiber to to build out fiber. Now, now one thing I will say before going on is that Google has you know made it its mission to reduce the development time, you yes. know, the deployment and, and, time. And they have been very effective at that. They've figured out new and less expensive ways to get that last piece from the pole into the, the residence, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and they've, they've really done a brilliant job at making that less expensive. Mm -hmm. And lots of people are looking at that and learning from it and saying, how can we also do that? Right, right. right. So there is no question that the cost will come down. Mm -hmm. But whether it's the $300 that Google charges, which really doesn't cover the freight entirely, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the you know the $600 that everybody else tries to get for a residence, and that doesn't cover the freight, right? Right. 
or the couple of thousand dollars that the commercial carriers charge to get into almost anything, mm-hmm. uh, and that barely covers the freight, up to the $15,000, $16,000 level that typically does cover all the costs. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, you have to have somebody on service for a very long time at $120 a month to, keep, to, recover to, your to cost. really recover the cost of the bill. Right, right, right. And that's the problem with fiber today. Right. All right. Uh, fiber is, is a brilliant solution for scalability and for reliability. Mm-hmm. Right, but it is very expensive to build. Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everybody looks at that and says, "Gee, this is very expensive to build. We really need that capacity." Mm-hmm. And the answer is, fiber plants usually are built over a minimum of five years, a maximum of twenty-year amortizations. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're thinking about twenty years, take every eleven months and double. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you're thinking that what you need right now is maybe 30 megs or 50 megs, just take that number and double it and see where you are right. at the end of 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's a surprise. Right. It is a bit of a it is a bit of a burden. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it it makes sense over in the long run. I mean, I think that the issues that we have and why communities are maybe better positioned to do at least the infrastructure part and have the private sector come in for the service part, mm-hmm. in essence, separating content from infrastructure, which is would make a lot of sense, is that the communities, for the most part, can get better deals. They can get our, you know, debt deals, mm-hmm. arrangements, you know, and they can afford to wait 20, 25 years to, to pay off the debt. Yes, they Whereas can finance for a longer cap. period of time, and they can finance at a lower rate, mm-hmm. and they have the ability to issue bonds. Right. All right? So those are all wonderful things. What most of the municipalities are not terribly good at is actually operating the plant. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And taking care of the customer demands and so on. And when they really find out everything that's involved with that, they sometimes go back to this public private deal right. where some real ISP that knows how to do those things is delivering those services. Right. Or they build that capability within the city. Right, right, right. right? Mm-hmm. And both of them can be scarily interesting projects. Well, <laughs> true. And I think, you know, which is, I mean, if I look at the folks that are here at this conference and, you know, sitting in the various sessions and, and so forth, um, you see a couple of things. I mean, one is there isn't maybe the full-on appreciation of the magnitude of the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, I think everyone is very painfully aware that the basic business dynamics of having to deal with the large carriers and all of their limitations has become, you know, almost insufferable. So the solution seems to be, or I guess the caution seems to be, well, you need to get past your naivete very quickly uh, to understand what these mechanics are. And like the pricing issue, right? Because you mentioned something that's interesting because on Tuesday or the last day of last week, uh, Iowa, what was it? Um, Cedar Falls in Iowa announced that they're 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 going to have a gigabit service, mm-hmm. right? And everybody goes, "Hey, yay! This is going to be a great thing." But then you read through the press release, and oh, by the way, it's going to be six hundred dollars uh, a person, and that's the residential, and the business is going to be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And someone asked me about this, and I said, "Well, you know, the issue is um, six hundred dollars for business." If you are paying two thousand dollars for you know three megs of speed through a bond T one, right. this is a big you know this is a big savings. However, you look at what Chattanooga charges 
for a gig, or you look at what Google's going to charge residents for a gig, and you start to feel that's unfair. Mm-hmm. But that's but, but let me get my point. But the, but the final thing is, though, but at the residential level, six hundred dollars. I heard this like I cringe because I'm thinking that's a lot of money. And then you kind of get back into you know well you know the U.S. lag behind the rest of the world in speed versus uh, uh, price. You know we're mm-hmm. paying too much for too little. Mm-hmm. We're we're getting a lot with a gig, but six hundred seems to be a really painful price point. For and a that home. painful price point is coming from the fact that they cannot get the bandwidth delivered to them cheaply enough ah, okay. to do the job. One of the things that we did magnificently in Kansas City was drive the cost of bandwidth down here. Mm-hmm. When I started building the NAP, bandwidth was two hundred and eighty five dollars a megabit on average. Now it's less than ten. Okay. And that is full bore out, use it all. Right. All right. Not mm-hmm. shared services. Right. right? Uh, and so we have a unique situation here because of some of the things that we developed with the with, with the projects where where we built massive meet me rooms and and cross connects and uh, did e- everything that we did here to drive pricing down. Mm-hmm. Right. That changed the pricing equation. All right. Uh, so the the widget, the raw cost of the widget, the wholesale cost mm-hmm. here is very low compared to someplace in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Right. And I so. You know, they're looking at, I've got to recover the cost of the build, and I've got to recover the cost that I have to pay to get those bits someplace, mm-hmm. all right? And it, it, it's not true that in every market you can get bandwidth at less than $5 a megabit, and certainly not true that in every market you can get bandwidth down to a dollar a megabit, mm-hmm. right? And that's true in certain buildings here in Kansas City. Right. Largely because of, of of the projects that we've been involved with here. Interesting. So, uh, to, for the a listener who may not be as familiar with the process, when you talk about the cost of bandwidth, you're talking about the cost not to the end user, but the cost from the transit to the internet. Okay. Which would mean what in layman's terms? And what that means is when you connect to your carrier's network, you get their network. Right. What you really want is the whole internet. Right. How do you get to the whole internet? You go through an internet exchange point, right. a NAP, or uh, another carrier to get it. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And the process of doing that is transit. All mm-hmm. right. Transport is from point A to point B. Right. Transit is, and I wish that they would start with different letters. No, no. <laughs> but. Uh, but transit is the process of getting to the rest of the universe. Right. right? And that always has a cost. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Now, people tend to think of bandwidth pricing and what they have to pay. But what they don't realize is they're paying rates based on shared bandwidth. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, commercial customers, ISPs and so on, they realize they're actually going to drink all of that water. All right. Mm-hmm. They're going to take all of that demand that they're putting on their networks, and they're going to be sucking it down or pushing it up all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. And so the wholesale cost relationship of that is quite different from what you are paying Google for a gigabit. Now, would that be the same dynamic happening in Chattanooga? So, in essence, Chattanooga probably pays a lesser they do wholesale rate than than they do in Iowa, but maybe a greater wholesale rate than they do here in Kansas City. Yes. 
Okay. That's true. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Let's shift for a second. One of the things that um, Google isn't doing, at least initially, is servicing the business community. Right. You guys service the business community with Absolutely. gigabit wireless. Um, and gigabit fiber. And gigabit fiber. Right. That's right. That's right. You do have both. Um, what's the, I don't know, the economic development implication of um, going to the consumer before going to the business community? Well, what do you think? Realize that part of what Google is doing, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is testing apps that are focused on the consumer. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, one of the interesting things about Kansas City is that it's within 1% of the demographic of the rest of the United States. Mm -hmm. So if some service or idea works here, it's likely to work everywhere. Mm -hmm. right? And so if you're going to really explore that, you have to focus your cost structure, your recovery structure, and everything else that's associated with those metrics mm -hmm. on those residences first. Right. All right. It's also the residences that vote. All right. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to get public private partnerships through, right, right. then helping those the residences right. is a good thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, and so, but what I would say to any municipality, whether they're trying to attract Google or any other operator, is make it a, lay, a, a level playing field. And whenever you have a street open for any reason, under God's green earth, put a duct in it. Right, right. Right? You don't have to lay the fiber yet. You don't have to buy the electronics. You don't have to do any of that. Just put the tube in the ground right. so that when you later try to attract that fiber operator to actually play in your backyard mm -hmm. and get some revenue from your ducks, mm -hmm. that they're there and they're easy to do. Right. Because that reduces the build times dramatically. Now, at the very least, I would do that in downtown cores, mm -hmm. right? Because it's so expensive to cut the streets open. And at the same time, I would say to any carrier that was going to open the street, okay, you let everybody else know that the street's going to be open then, and that's when we put the duct in and we share it. You know, one of the things that uh, someone pointed out is that the <clears throat> what's called uh, dig ones. Mm -hmm. One of the shortcomings of that as a policy is that you may want to do that, but it may be difficult for everybody to get the word. So in other right. words, the state might be running, a, or the county, say, for mm -hmm. example, might be doing a project, but the county doesn't tell all the cities. Or the mm -hmm. state might be doing something, and by the time it gets to the to the city level that this is happening, you know, the, the, the state has already got the people ready to start digging up wherever mm -hmm. for, the, for this project. From your perspective, is that a valid issue? Do we have a lot of disconnect between Yes, yes because one of the things that happens is that the telecom world, the people that you really have to communicate with, mm -hmm. is a very small handful of people, and they're in silos within the carrier community. Mm -hmm. So you've really got to get into that community before you can identify a lot of those players. Mm -hmm. And that's a database job that the city should start doing early. When they are talking to the carriers, they should ask specifically who deals with these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. What email address do I use to, to provide you notices and so uh, on? Right, uh -huh. So that all of that kind of thing is out in the open to begin with. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. You know, these carriers are coming to the cities and saying, we want right away. All right? We'll say, yeah, fine. I understand you want right away. We need to know from you 
how we coordinate all of this process so that dig once what does work. Mm -hmm. And if they are putting in ducks, it does. Mm -hmm. Right? If they're just opening the street and having everybody lay their fiber in their own ducks, mm -hmm. it doesn't. Because everybody is building things at different times. They're building things because customer XYZ was the critical piece that they needed to make the economy work mm -hmm. of building this six mile segment. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting, interesting uh situation in that in that respect. Um what are some of the challenges okay, taking away the, the you know the political side of things, if you don't service your um your residential side, are there other uh challenges to the the business equation that that the communities might miss? One of the big challenges these days for economic development particularly is the fact that almost all computing power is going to the cloud. Okay. All right. What businesses want to do today is take their iPad, connect to a cloud server somewhere, and get the business process done that they want to get done. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. BYOB is a huge equation that's going on right now. Uh, and so BYOD, bring your own device, you right? right. Mm -hmm. uh, is the process of making whatever it is that you have, you know, a Nexus tablet, a, a, an iPad, you know, an Android device, whatever it is, I want to communicate with all of these services that are in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And those cl cloud services are sitting in data centers, mm -hmm. all right? So you've got to build really, really massive roads to the data centers, right? all right? Because, you know, a thousand businesses all wanting 100 meg connectivity to the data center, the aggregation is in the 20... 30, 40 gig range mm -hmm, by the mm -hmm. time you get to the data center. Right. So kind of think of the data centers as Disney World attractions. Right. right? <laughs> and all of these roads are trying to get there. Right? Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about flow is that the data centers tend to pump up to the cloud. So they need tons and tons and tons of capacity going up. And the users tend to draw down from the cloud. Mm -hmm. right? Eyeball networks is what we call them. Right, right, right. And I... And so in a situation like that, the, the flow is asymmetric, all right? So one of the things that we've been trying to figure out how to do is really find services that go the opposite direction. We've been doing a lot of things with video uh, surveillance and, and conferencing and uh, backup services and that sort of thing so that we can push that flow the other direction because that flow going the other direction mm -hmm. is much less expensive. And so if we can, uh, if we can monetize some of that, then we can lower the costs of the primary feeds. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's one of the interesting things that a lot of the carriers are trying to figure out right, right. Uh -huh. But this equation of going to cloud services, cloud services in the next two or three years is a $55 billion industry. So this is no small deal. No, no. It's, it is a huge deal. And the migration rate is going from early adopter stage right now to full onboard implementations. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's killing the the ability of the T1 to do anything but voice. Right. So um, <clears throat> so this brings up an interesting question. If we look at the state of the telecom industry currently, they are unwilling or unable to um, upgrade their copper infrastructure to fiber. They have to worry about stockholder backlash. They have to worry about 
you know, just the sheer weight of the debt to, to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. But at which point is it going to be impossible for them to sell what they have because the demands and the needs are going to be so great that the average business is going to say, well, I don't, you know, I'm not going to buy that. I, I, why, why would I buy that? Mm-hmm. Like, are, are, is, are we going to reach that kind of a point? Well, the, what, what would the plain fact of the matter is that if the, if the carriers don't do it, they're going to be bypassed. Okay. They realize that, and they're switching their focus to wireless. What they want to do is directly connect your Android device or your iPad or whatever it is through highly concentrated Wi-Fi backhaul capacity into little tiny microcells that are operating not over miles but over hundreds of feet. Right. All right. And aggregate that capacity back to a fiber plan and completely bypass the copper. They don't want to be on the copper anyway. But but then doesn't that bring up the limitations of wireless, right? Because, you know, we're talking about a gigabit of wireless, right. but we're talking about it in the context of point-to-point. And the trick is to reduce the range, all right? One of the re- interesting things about what Google Google is doing is they're putting Wi-Fi in everything that they're going to. Right, because right. yeah, home, their home devices right. have Wi-Fi. And so the Wi-Fi networks are carrying 100, 150 megs of capacity in the envelope. Right. right, and they're trying to make the envelope smaller and smaller and smaller, so it's just servicing that guy's house. Right, all right, and then put all of the bandwidth that is demanded from that onto the gigabit fiber, and then pull that back. All mm-hmm. right, um, and to the degree that radio can be manipulated, that works fine. All right. Mm-hmm. Our problem is there is not enough spectrum capacity in Wi-Fi, particularly not in impar- apartment complexes. All right, there's you're too close to each other, and the walls okay. are paper thin anyway. Uh-huh. All right, so you're not getting the separation uh, of all of that traffic, and so what happens is the Wi-Fi starts working lousy because two or three neighbors are up on the same channel, mm-hmm. and there aren't enough channels. Now the FCC is working on something called Super Wi-Fi. And there is, uh, you know, plans put to put more capacity out there. There are some new spectrum groups that are coming available. And so there will be a slow path to solution of these problems, but it's still a big problem. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That's a lot to think about. That's a lot to think about. One of the things, uh, I, I, I probably should bring something up before I forget about mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, we talked about the data center um, mm-hmm. part of the strategy. Now, again, you know, be, being here for two days, we've talked about a lot of important stuff, but I don't know how many folks have talked about data center. I think one of the dangers is, you know, a lot of folks that are driving broadband projects aren't techies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they understand the basics of broadband, but they're not techies. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because, you know, we're not wanting to bring, the you know, a high-level tech discussion to this type of an audience. But what are the basics of data centers and why they are important to the broadband network that people should know? Because I think data centers, when people think data centers, they think about a company like Google needs a data center because that's how they manage their stuff. Right. And a company like Microsoft, you know, they've got all these massive databases. But I don't think, pe- I don't think people realize that data center, a data center is a component of the broadband network. Again, whether we're Absolutely. talking wireless or wired. It's the other end. The which other end? I have an end in my house, <laughs> and I have another end somewhere else. Okay. All right? Mm-hmm. And that somewhere else is almost always a data center. Mm-hmm. All right? 
And the connections that even a small data center needs are stunning. You know, mm-hmm. 40 gigs, 80 gigs, uh, you know, hundreds of gigs. To right? support the data center. To support the data center. Right. right. And those data centers also have a huge bandwidth bill to be in business. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, one of the things that the, the carriers and, and all of those other operators need to think about is this is a destination that is going to suck an immense amount of traffic. And I want a direct pipe to that data center. Mm-hmm. I do not want to have to go through some carrier to go to Chicago to come back to right. switch that traffic. Right. Okay. And that's what happens today. Okay. All right. And those create all sorts of bottlenecks, and it's those bottlenecks that momentarily disconnect your VPN and cause you so much frustration because you've got to log back on again. Okay. Now, what do communities need to do to be able to make better decisions about this? And because well, they, they, what they need to do is get all of the stakeholders talking to each other very early on. Right. All right. Even if you are not planning a project. Mm-hmm. All right. Start getting the community talking about how to make the community's resources better. That's one of the things that really happened here in Kansas City. Our little project starting out at 1102 Grand and talking to a bunch of carriers and getting uh, interconnections built and building the NAP back in, two th- in uh, 2004 and having it you know grow until today, uh, that got a lot of people talking to each other that mm-hmm. had never talked to each other before. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. And then when you plugged in the municipalities trying to get this wonderful Google opportunity to play for them, they realized that they needed a lot of communications with each other. Mm-hmm. And they actually started finding the stakeholders and connecting together. And the tech community here was already pretty well connected, mm-hmm. all right, uh, largely because of what, what we had done already. And uh, so when that city component came in and the municipality and the government components came in, we really started having good conversations, and we really started solving problems. And we also looked at the problem not from the standpoint of we're going to solve everything right away. We're going to communicate about these ideas mm-hmm. and solve this problem mm-hmm. uh, and not try, to, not try to do a comprehensive plan because this stuff is moving too fast for government. Right, right, right. right. I mean, the, the, the speed of Internet is is a dynamic that's hard to under, under, understand. But if you're a business person, think about everything that you do in terms seven times faster. Right. Right. Uh-huh. That's a good metric to try to understand how fast you've got to deal with things. You know, if you're used to planning things over three years, you've got months. You don't have three years. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, and and so uh, these kinds of conversations start to ha- have to start to happen early. I uh, and. those tech components need to be talking to each other on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. They need to develop those personal relationships so that I can know, oh, I know that guy at this this carrier, or I know that guy at that data center. I know them well. You know, I've I've visited with them. I've been in in their places. Mm -hmm. We've done done these tours, like, you know, the traveling house tour Uh, kind of thing. uh, uh Uh, And and so we did that in this community, Mm -hmm. right? And it was really effective. And, And now we have... Uh, you know, when we have one of these tech events, we have hundreds of people show up, mm-hmm. uh, and it's almost like a trade show on on a Friday night. <laughs> uh, and and we are are dealing with each other at a social level, so we feel like we know each other and trust each other. Mm-hmm. All right, that makes things much faster to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. So now coming back to the businesses and uh, the the gig with wireless. So if I am in a company that 
has been, you know, totally sold on the concept of fiber. Mm-hmm. How do you convince them that, you know, a point-to-point wireless, in your case, based on, you know, different variables, could be a better option, mm-hmm. right? And it's not necessarily about price, but I think one of the things, we, you know, we there, found there out... There are two, in, two factors here. Okay. One is speed to build. Right. All right. Uh, we can get a, a gigabit wireless shot up in two weeks. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it, it, licensed in eight. All right. Li- uh, licensed to which? It, licensed in eight. It takes about eight weeks to get a, oh, a, a, okay. a licensed uh-huh. shot up. But uh, you can do a lot with unlicensed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we'll go up, build a, a, an unlicensed link for the time that we're waiting for the license applications to go through the system. Mm-hmm. And then we'll turn on the licensed link after after that's done. Mm-hmm. So I. Speed to build is one of the of the huge elements, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I need something in a month, the fiber guys aren't going to be able to get into your building that fast, right? Right. right. Um, the uh, the other thing is the cost, right? right. Uh, a point to point gigabit transport between two buildings, you're looking somewhere between twenty and forty five thousand dollars for the build, depending on the equipment you use and the other hurdles that you got to jump through. All right? Okay. That only gets you you know, a mile in a fiber dig, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it, and that's not in a metro, all right? right. So I, it, so when you're trying to contain that cost, that is a, a very big element to think about. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of justification for building the gigabit wireless feed until you need the fiber. And when you start really needing that kind of capacity, Get those those bids in from the fiber carriers, and you know what's something interesting? They are far more aggressive when they realize that you have an alternative coming through the air mm-hmm. that you are not paying so much for, mm-hmm. and so they sharpen their pencil. Mm-hmm. Now, on the business side of it, what are their um, requirements? They need a CPE or the equivalent of a CPE, or do they just need a cable that well, cooks the, the cable? On the, the trend roof? today. The trend today is Ethernet. If I can get an Ethernet handoff, all of the equipment is less expensive. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, an Ethernet interface, because they're in every PC in the universe, is a buck or two right. in, in wholesale cost. You mm-hmm. know, ten at retail. Right. 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 And so I, uh, you, you get to the point where that Ethernet connection is very inexpensive to make, and it actually works fairly well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a mature technology. We know how to do it, and uh, it's work, been working for a long time, and that's what your PCs have anyway. Right. So, most companies today want an Ethernet handoff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the the longer haul carriers, particularly those that are dealing with copper, have to deal with either uh, ATM or uh, TDM uh, technology using uh, copper frame buffers and that sort of thing. So, I their interfaces because they're manufactured in much smaller quantities are much more expensive. Mm-hmm. So the and so when you go to price your router, you know a router with six Ethernet interfaces is pretty inexpensive. A router with six ATM interfaces is pretty pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's one of the the factors in price. And, and today that growing trend for Ethernet handoff is is mm-hmm. kind of ruling the roost. So let's talk about um, the pricing process. We. Uh, have definitely spent time at this conference on the pricing issue, and we had a session earlier today. And we'll start with the caveat that um, pricing, the, the variables that affect pricing 
are going to change and be different based on where you are. Mm-hmm. And Very much to, so. and to, for anybody to walk in like in the early days of Muni Wi-Fi, where they always try to say, well, you know, your average network will cost you this. They can't. They try to come with a formula. Mm-hmm. So then that and that applied to everybody, mm-hmm. right? I think we're smarter than that now. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, there are still some certain things that you can sort of look at or or calculate to determine or try to determine a cost situation. Mm-hmm. What are those main factors and how do they affect whether the customer pays 70 bucks a month or 150 bucks a month? The big cost factors are the price for the right-of-way whether that's in a duct or fiber to a pole or uh, going through, you know, some sewer line somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they do that. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of fiber is laid down gas pipelines that that have, for one reason or another, been abandoned. Mm-hmm. Right? It makes a great pipe and, and it's rugged and you pull the fiber through it and you, you've got and a fiber. There you go. That's kind of how Wiltel got mm-hmm. started, right? Mm-hmm. Um so the right-of-ways are a cost factor. Uh, right-of-ways are very much a cost factor. And there's a place where the governments, the municipalities, and so on can really make a difference. Right? And they've got to change their paradigm uh, as, as they're thinking about this because they're used to the old paradigm where the carriers would pay them a bazillion and a half dollars for the right. right-of-way. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And the carriers can't pay a bazillion and a half dollars for the right-of-way if they are going to exist in a, a competitive world where there's a bypass. Mm-hmm. And wireless, by the way, is an interesting bypass. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're in a situation where you're trying to build in a metro like this one where there are 50 cities, 50, mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. all close together and all working, you know, you know, most for the most part, pretty well. Right. But if I'm trying to build a fiber network across that me- metro, I'm dealing with 50 Governments, and you have to worry about, which I think is what uh, Google's um, VP um, Milo uh, talked about, Milo Medin mm-hmm. talked about uh, yesterday, which was, you know, you got to make it easy and less expensive for me to build. And he talks about the things like the right of way, which is not to be confused with taxation issues. I think that, no. you know, because when AT&T started whining about uh, Google in Austin, in Austin they said, well, we want the same sweetheart deal, mm-hmm. right? Well, but it made it sound like they wanted the tax breaks, mm-hmm. whereas Google's position is we don't really care about the tax breaks, but we care about the right-of-way costs and all of those fees and miscellaneous mm-hmm. that comes with dealing with multiple governments, in which case now they're only you know, right. dealing with Kansas City, uh, Missouri. And- the, the taxing level on telecom is stunning. The national average is 13.8%. Uh, that's what they are taxed at? Right. right. Okay. Right. So the carriers are paying a very high tax, and indirectly, all of their customers are, right? right? Because they pass it through to their customers, of course. Is that to be different, differentiated from subsidies? Like when they come in and demand right. subsidies right. for be doing business, and if right. you give us a million dollars, this is this is just taxing the tax basis, right? The tax and okay. and the telecom tax issues are whacked. A lot of them date back to the Crimean War. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Uh, until uh, a few years ago, we were still paying off the Spanish-American War through mm-hmm. telecom taxes because of, of levies that were put in place at that time. Right. Pretty ridiculous. Uh, so a new paradigm has to occur there, and the pricing model has to go from fixed to variable. Mm-hmm. All right, Because what happens is new kinds of services come along that you can't make work under the old paradigm. 
Mm-hmm. But it's economic engine, all right? So if you level it into the the equation of the growth of business, then everybody pays a, a fair share, mm-hmm. all right? But that should work the other way, too. If that business contracts, those costs should also go down, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. And when you can do that, you have a fairly level playing field, mm-hmm. all right? Uh, so... And particular, one of the things that we have not done well in in the Kansas metro, uh, Missouri and Kansas, mm-hmm. telecom taxes here are very high. I mean, mm-hmm. the order of twenty one to twenty five percent, and it's ridiculous. It is, that, really is. is that a fact? Is the taxes is at twenty five percent here? Yes. Wow. Kansas has the eighth highest telecom taxes in the country. Huh. That's and very Missouri is very okay. close. Now, what are some of the other facts? We talked about right of way. Right. Um, the, the, the next. The next. Big kicker on costs is the cost to get the bandwidth to the internet transit. Okay. All right, uh, and that's very variable, and that almost is always most attractively priced at very large commercial buildings that have several fiber providers where they've been beating up each other for a long time and driven the price down in that market. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, in a situation where the uh, carriers are are trading each other capacity uh, or peering off like where a nap is built, right? Because those trades of bandwidth and capacity, they generally do that to one another for free, Mm -hmm. right? As long as the flows are reasonably balanced back and forth between the the carriers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's one of the big advantages of a nap. But uh, there are only 16 naps in the United States right now. We do not have a lot of naps, right? There are Mm -hmm. only about 45 in the world. There are a lot more IAXs, uh, Internet Exchange Points, usually at carrier hotels where somebody's figured out, oh, I can run a piece of fiber from one cage to another cage and dump off some of this capacity and also reduce my costs because mm-hmm. I won't have to go out to Chicago and come back to cross the street. And that's all considered data transit? That's all That's all data transit. Okay. Now, is there one or two things that communities can do to try to rein that in in some way? Is it do they? Well, you tell me. Right. So... One of the things that the cities can do is ask every carrier that's involved to peer with them and encourage peering generally. Right? So they ask every telecom? They, they, I mean, okay. everybody that's asking them for something, they should ask back, I want peering to you. Okay. All right? Peering is the process of trading bandwidth back and forth. And as I said, it's generally done for free as long as the loads going back and forth are reasonable, mm-hmm. say within 15% of each other. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you take out the costs that are associated with what you can peer off, that'll lower your cost by 20% for, for uh, transit. Uh-huh. And that's a huge win. Okay. That's a structural advantage to pricing for your economic engine for your city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's something that definitely needs to be done. Okay. Uh, the, the other thing is to really work on the education side of the equation so that when you're asking carriers to give you breaks and, and really understand the pricing, that you understand that there are real costs to building these networks. I mean, one of the one of the biggest fantasies in the history of mankind that was ever <laughs> propagated on the U.S. public was that Wi-Fi somehow could be free. All right. Yep, we remember those days. All right. So uh, because everybody thought, oh, I'm not paying for the spectrum because it's unlicensed. All right. And so I just have to really recover the cost of the equipment. Well, my company almost bought the WAS network in Arizona, which is one of the biggest 
free public Wi-Fi networks that was ever built. That imploded. And it definitely imploded. And even by reducing the price from $8 million to a $1 million, we still couldn't make the economy work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right? Because you got to pay for it somehow. Mm -hmm. All right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. All right? That is a given. Right? That is so a given. Uh, now, you can recover some costs on advertising deals. You can recover some costs on uh, on participation deals. You can reduce the costs of things, but you can't eliminate them. Uh And so free bandwidth just isn't going to happen. But you can cooperate to drastically lower costs. You can talk to each other about what is very expensive for you to do and find ways to solve that problem. Google did that in figuring out how to make it less expensive to get from the pole into the residence. Mm-hmm. All right, they really worked on solving that problem. All right, and that worked, and that's part of why their economy kind of sort of works. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. now they are not on their three hundred dollar install fee recovering all of the costs of building that. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and and everybody needs to understand that. Right, it, you know, it's like cell phone sub- subsidies. You know, I mean, right. my the cell phone I'm wearing on my hip is an eight hundred dollar device, and I only paid one hundred and forty nine dollars for it. All right, so how, how did it get paid? Well, Sprint paid the rest of it, right, uh, hoping that I would stay on stay their with service them as, as a subscriber. Mm-hmm. All right, and so we can talk to each other and figure out ways to reduce costs. Mm-hmm. And one of the big costs that is a big variable is telecom taxes. Right. All right. I mean, it's it's ridiculous what it costs a carrier to get a piece of transit from one place to another through a lek. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as as taxes, I mean, they just they're paying through the nose for the tax component of uh, 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 of, of that pipe. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're not recovering it on. What they can charge their consumers because the market has changed. Mm-hmm. All right, so they're they're trying to figure out every way in the world to bypass things, and wireless is one of the ways they're bypassing things. That's one of the reasons why fiber to the tower is more ubiquitous because the carrier operators can't always lay off that tax cost, mm-hmm. and uh, so they'll go through the air because they don't have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So let me ask one question. This will be our last question. Actually, we got don't have a lot of time. So in a minute. Um, I can see point-to-point wireless and where that has its advantages. I can see trying to create more powerful Wi-Fi devices in the home. Mm-hmm. But what about mobile, like actually moving around? Can you really take advantage of a gigabit wireless network if you are mobile between points? Yes, by realizing that you have to put in micro... And that those microtransmitters are the way that you get, you know, gigabits of capacity to a few hundred cell phones rather than a few thousand cell phones. Okay. All right. Uh, and so you need these very short links, you know, 300 megs, 500 megs, 800 megs, that maybe you're only going eight tenths of a mile mm-hmm. so that you can get all of that capacity out of downtown that you need, mm-hmm. all right, because there's a real concentration of people that are trying to use the service there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the cell operators can reduce the size of the cell. That's how they do it. Okay. Great. Well, we're going to have to wrap, unfortunately, but it's always a great time having you on the show and, you know, learning a lot of information and trying to decipher some of the tech and make it, you know, understandable. Uh, I thank you for being here. 
My great pleasure, Saul. Okay. And for our audience, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, we've got one more show from Kansas City tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be an interesting experiment. I'm going to do a total call-in show. I want to have the folks in Kansas City, uh, the average folks in Kansas City, call in and talk about how they feel about broadband, Google Fiber, love it, hate it, don't know what to do with it. Whatever, but we're going to expect to have a call-in show, and so that should be very interesting. I want everybody to come back, uh, enjoy the show. Uh, we've got shows coming up in the upcoming weeks as well. So thank you, everyone. Have a great day. We'll talk again soon.